Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for kicking off your week with us. This is your Monday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We are a Sports Ethos presentation, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You guys can hit me up over on Twitter, at JoeOrico99. Got a very special guest joining the show today. He's joining us from New Jersey. And before you say, who, who are we bringing on here? Who are we bringing on? We got Joe Pisapia from Fantasy Pros. He's going to be talking to us about the Mets. You guys can check him out over on Twitter, at JoePisapia17. Joe, it's great to talk with you again. Oh, it's great to uh, to be here with you, Joe. And uh, we're going to talk about my my Mets. And you know, any Mets fan will say it like that. You know, I'm I am a native of New York. I grew up in Brooklyn in the '80s, where the Mets were king. Dwight Gooden was on the side of a skyscraper. It was it was a time to be alive. And it's all been downhill pretty much ever since. That's <laughs> that's pretty much uh, you know between the cocaine and the injuries and the ownership and the stuff. It's it's been a long winding road, but. It feels like the Mets are at least uh, more than respectable again and actually have some fantasy assets, too. So that's kind of a nice change of pace than what I've been used to in the past. There's a lot of fun players to talk about. Before we get going, I mentioned you're over at Fantasy Pros. You guys are transitioning back into baseball now. Anything you got you want to plug before we get going? Oh, oh we got. Oh, please. We, we got full baseball going. Welsh and I are out there a couple of days a week doing the baseball show. We're going to move to three days a week uh, starting in February. So that's very exciting. We're going to have our mock draft show, our first one this week already. Uh, good times there. And our, we'll be back with leading off every single day uh, over on our Fantasy Pros MLB YouTube channel, which is great. It's fantasy, it's wagering, it's all those things in one spot. It's a daily baseball show that talks about how we actually, you know, watch baseball, you know, by wagering on it and by playing fantasy. So it's going to be a good time. So if you haven't already, go sub over there at YouTube at Fantasy Bros MLB and uh, check it out. It's a fun show. And of course, you got to know the Welsh. The Welsh is hilarious. Great baseball mind. Great friend of mine. So uh, it's, it's a good time. If you like baseball and stupid, we provide a lot of both. Leading off is one of my go-to podcasts. I was very <laughs> sad when it ended for the year. Welsh was great. You are great. Welsh was just here a couple Thanks. weeks ago. If you guys missed that ah. one, you guys should check that one out. We were going through the Diamondbacks. Not as exactly as rosy of a topic as the Mets, I don't think. The Mets are probably going to the, they should be going to the playoffs, Christ. Oh, you but, jinxed it already. Now I don't <laughs> want to do the rest of the show. Now I'm out. <laughs> the way the team is constructed, I mean, especially the pitch and staff looks pretty deep. There's a couple of guys I think that should be in the rotation. I mean, in a lot of teams, they would be in the rotation that aren't here. Uh, let's start with the lineup, though. Let's start at the top of the lineup. Brandon Nimmo, he got paid. He's coming off of probably the best season we've ever seen from him. Do you think we're going to see a repeat from Brandon Nimmo, or have they kind of paid for <sighs> yesterday's stats? I think they paid a little bit for yesterday's stats, but uh, he's a very popular guy in the in the, in the the clubhouse. He's a popular guy in the organization. You know, he, he's a good dude. Um, I, I don't think the contract they gave him is – I'll put it this way. I think it's a bit of a luxury item. And they said, look, we're going to pay for the guy that we like that's good for the team, does good things, plays good defense. Um, 
you know, they think he's going to score a hundred runs again. I think he can. It's all about staying healthy for Nimmo. That's the trick. I mean, he's never played, you know, 160 games. We had 151 last year. I don't think the power is a fallacy. I think, you know, the 15, 16 home runs is something you can get out of him. Uh, to me, it's just all about health. Uh, you know, he's going to have good OBP. He's going to get on base and you want to covet these guys that are top of the order guys in good lineups, because it's just like the football scenario too. Same thing in baseball. You want to make investments in good offensive ecosystems. And the Mets are a pretty good offensive ecosystem. So investing in the guy at the top of that order, as long as he is playing every day for the most part, you're going to get nice counting stats out of him. And at the end of the day, you're going to look up and be very pleased, I think, with what you get out of Brandon Nimmo. Projections are very good. You know, All of them are calling mm-hmm. for 140 plus games, which he's only done twice. Yeah. Uh, roughly 15 <laughs> homers, five steals, uh, about 85 runs, and about a 270 batting average. Do you like the price? He's going about pick 175 uh, in these January draft champions. It feels about right to me. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it is. Uh, in you know leagues, especially where there's OBP, I think that's another one too where Brandon Nimmo can shine. There, uh, he's always had excellent OBP skills in the minor leagues. Uh, very solid player there. But you know, I think that Brandon Nimmo. What do you say? He's not a guy who's going to win you your league. But he's certainly a guy that's going to be a nice contributor. And if people are going to devalue him or you get a discount on him, I think it's somebody that you would absolutely take. And if you look at, you know, some of the guys going around that space, it's still a pretty good investment there. Yeah. I mean, like you said, the top of the lineup there, if he scores, if he's healthy, you should score 100 runs. He should hit 15 Mm -hmm. to 20 home runs, maybe, you know, 12 to 17 kind of range somewhere in there. Should be a pretty good bargain. Now, another member of that outfield going quite a bit higher, Starling Marte, almost 100 picks higher. Heard some news the other day that he might not be ready for the start of the season. There's still some injury stuff going on with him. What are your thoughts on Marte? Are you going to be interested in drafting him where he's going right now, which is just about it's just inside the top 80 as of right now? Yeah, I go the consensus right now over fantasy pros. He is 58. The thing is, I think it's going to force my hand because outfield is not good this year. So at some points, you know, he's going to be on the board. And I think you're going to take that risk because of the power speed combination upside, the kind of player he is. Um, and he's had health issues. Let's be honest. I mean, there's another guy too. You look at the games, you know, 77 games, 145, 132. We'll skip the COVID year, 120, 118. He's not a guy that's going to, he's not Cal Ripken, you know, like that's ain't happening. So I think at the end of the day, what you're looking for is can you get 130 games out of Sterling Marte and cross your fingers? If you get that, he absolutely returns his value. If he plays a hundred games, it's a little different. Uh, but outfield is so bad. I think he's one of those players you take the risk on because of the speed, specifically too in that little combo he gives you uh he had a very good season for the Mets when he was playing he had 290 still gonna have high batting average too which is hard to find so uh this is a player I think in roto formats he's very appealing I think where he takes a hit for me personally Joe is when you're looking at the head-to-head formats of any kind whether it be points or uh categories because when he's missing time that's tough it's tough when you make an early investment in a player and he's not there on the field and that happens with Marte so I think Season-long Roto is his best spot because he's going to give you batting average, which is hard to find, steals, which is hard to find, outfield sucks. He ticks a lot of boxes, and you'll take 125 games, 130 games out of him and be really happy with the counting stats he gives you from those because he's an elite player when he's playing, but he's not, unfortunately, an elite player to play every single day. That's the difference. The projections range from 128 games to 138. 138 feels a little bit rich for me. And I'm a little bit worried about the stolen bases coming back the way that they are projecting. Like the bat has them for 29 steals. We saw him go from 47 down to 18. I don't think we really have any idea what he's kind of like a Whit Merrifield situation with the steals mm-hmm. going from you know a 40s to a 20 number. Is it going to be 30 next year? Is it going to be 10? We, we really don't know if he's healthy. 
I think he should be able to give you 25 or so, but it's watching him play. I didn't see anything in the speed category that has me worried, like watching him run. I just think it's health at this point. It's not like, I don't, I don't think there's any decline in him. I just think it's whether or not he's healthy enough to go. That's it. Yeah. I don't think we're going to see 40 something again, but like, I don't think so either. 20 something, maybe 30. If he's playing like close to a whole season, I think that that could be realistic 22 and be happy. Everyone. Yeah. Just do that. (laughs) Next up. Francisco Lindor projected about third in this lineup. We're just going through roster resource. If you guys want to check it out, very laid back approach as we've done with these team previews, just going through the lineup, going through the rotation. Francisco Lindor is up next and his projections are pretty good. Now he's somebody I was really into this season drafting because his price was Mm -hmm. discounted three or four rounds. It's got back up a little bit. He's going uh, early third round in a 15 team or about 32nd off the board. What are your thoughts on Lindor for 2023? I couldn't agree with you more. Last year I was all in because, you know, it's that first year transition, big contract. We see it all the time. Like just shake it off, take the discount the next year and you're going to crush. And he did. He was great. 25 homers, you know, basically a hundred, hundred season. Uh, I don't know what there is not to like. He had 270, which like the batting average would be a little higher maybe, but you know, 270 is kind of, I think what you expect from Lindor at this stage. Um, Shortstop is actually deeper than some of the other spots, but right now the consensus he's at player number 30 overall I think he's a huge value there. Uh, I love Lindor. I don't know why people don't like Lindor. I don't know what their problem is <laughs> at this point, but he's a really good player and a really good offense towards the top of the lineup. I mean, I don't know what, what you're looking for. It gives you power, gives you speed. The batting average is, is pretty good. The counting stats are there, uh, plays every day. So to me, Lindor is one of the guys that I still think he's coming at a discount. And it might be partially because people like some of the shots you could take at shortstop as the draft goes on. And that's fair, but you know what? You're playing in those leagues with middle infielders, you know, those spots, get a guy like Lindor first and then double up with another one of the guys you like at shortstop later. And I think you'll build some core roster strength there. I think that's the way to approach it, but I love Lindor. I think he's still a value, not as dramatically a value year over year, but still a value nonetheless. Yeah. I was talking with Justin Mason yesterday. I was doing sleeper in the bust. And we I'm were talking- sorry. I'm sorry. I had to spend time with oh. that guy, Justin Mason, that <laughs> we did, guy. We did sleeper in the Justin. bust I and missed- then, and then friends of fantasy benefits right after. So I got this. Oh, like, wow. Like, you got the two for now. Now he owes you a lenable arrangement or something. <laughs> no, it was great talking with him. We were talking about, <laughs> we were talking about shortstop and we were saying like, you know, you can kind of wait a little bit because the narrative is that shortstop Again. is so deep, but once you get past about Carlos Correa, Nico Horner range, if you don't have one by that point, you're kind of screwed. So I'm kind of in agreement there. Taking Lindor where he's going, I think it's I think it's fairly reasonable. He's not as expensive as your Bichettes and your Tatises and your Bobby Witts. And he's you know a little bit more expensive than guys like Corey Seager and O'Neill Cruz, but I think you're gonna get a much better season out of him as a whole. If you're gonna wait, I wouldn't wait too long. And I think that Lindor is probably a decent range to start thinking about it. Once you're in the third round, maybe the fourth round mm-hmm. of your 12 teamer. He's there kind of on his own in ADP, you know, 13 spots ahead of him is Tatis and about 35 is Seager. So I really like him there. Uh, I, I don't like waiting so much on shortstop. I know you're going to have to wait on something eventually because, you know, you got to get a second base <laughs> early. You got to get a third baseman early. You got to get a catcher early. You're going to have to give up on something. And a lot of the time, I think it will be shortstop because of the narrative that it's so deep. But it's not as deep as you maybe quite think it is, especially in a 15 teamer. So Lindor, I think, makes a lot of sense there in the third slash fourth round. Polar Pete. He's up next. He is fourth in the lineup. Projections seem to really like him. I've heard a lot of people say that he could go for 50 home runs this year. What are your thoughts uh, for 2023 Pete Alonso? 
he could. Uh, he is a raw power hitter guy, but he's also somebody that I remember when he first came up, I told everybody, look, you know, all the 53 home runs and all that. So that was great. It was super fun. But I kept telling everybody there's a better version of Pete Alonso as a hitter you hadn't seen yet. And you started to see that, I think, the last couple of years. He's entering his prime years now, 28 to 32. Like those are the prime years, which is probably scary for the rest of the league. I think he's got a, a decent shot at an MVP look this year, depending if he hit, does get to that 50 mark. I think that's going to be a big conversation to have. Um, sometimes you see these projections. They don't you know, love players as much. Most of the projections have him somewhere around the 38 to 40 mark, which I think is what you're betting on for him. Um, and when it comes to first baseman too, I mean, he's really steady. You know the kind of guy you're getting, so he's not going to do anything stupid. He's not going to you know get in trouble or anything. Like Pete Alonso is a clubhouse leader. He's a great guy. Uh, he's a great source of power. And from a fantasy perspective, yeah, maybe there is the possibility where he has another huge season. Maybe there is a possibility where um, he goes for 50 to 60 home runs. Like that's not out of the range of outcomes for him. Uh, I think if they got him a little bit more lineup protection, I still think this lineup lacks a lefty power hitter for more projection. I think that that would benefit very well. Uh, <laughs> Shohei Otani. <laughs> Sorry, something was in my throat there. Um, I think that's coming at some point, whether it's this year in July or whether it's in the off season, I think that's coming. But for the meantime, I think Pete Alonso is about as safe of an investment you can get in the power department in all formats. The guy tracks. Um, I don't know. It's really hard to find something negative to say about Pete Alonso, I think. And, and that's a good thing right now. He's number 20 overall. And I mean, you're probably going to get something like a 265 batting average and, you know, somewhere around 40 bombs and over a, well over 100 RBI, I would imagine, and probably, you know, 90 runs scored. And, you know, Pete Alonso is an absolute stud and he's entering his prime. So there is a reason to believe, especially in the keeper dynasty league world, that like there's a version of Pete Alonso in the next couple of years that could even get better, which is great, which is very exciting. But just what he's already shown you, he's already an elite player. Yeah. And I mean, he's cut his strikeout rate too. It's below 20% these last couple of seasons. I mean, he was a good hitter in the minor leagues. It wasn't just a power guy. He was a good hitter. And I knew that was coming eventually if he didn't get too power happy. And that's the only thing. Can he keep what he's done as a hitter now and transition to be the better hitter, Pete Alonso, and still hit 50 plus home runs? I don't know. He sacrificed a lot of that good hitter, Pete Alonso, that rookie season to hit that mark because he knew the fans cared. So then he cared about it because that's the kind of duty he is. So I just don't want to see him give that up. That's my only concern with Alonso. I don't think I'd be too worried about it. He's durable. He's actually not stealing a lot of bases, but the last three years has gone one, three, and five. Yeah. So if we get the seven not this bad. year, maybe. Look at that. Seven. Well, that's, that's, I hope that'd be fun, but I guess. Push, am I pushing <laughs> my luck a little bit, hoping for seven? I think so. I think maybe. Maybe I am a little <laughs> bit. But I mean, you don't need that many out of the first base position to give you that little bit of a boost. Most of the time, you're taking one or two steals. Even if it is four or five, you'll take that, especially when he's giving you the other four categories like very solidly. Batting average, even with the 270, considering the league batting average is like 142, I think, the last time I checked. I don't think there's any need to worry about him being like any kind of negative in any category for you. He's he's a positive. He's going fairly high up in drafts, but he's very safe. Everybody at the top of this Mets lineup, I think, is very safe for fantasy. The top four, five options are going to be really solid picks. The next guy, Jeff McNeil, I think is no different in terms of how safe he is. Now, obviously, he's not going to give you the same statistical output, but I think he can still give you over a 300 average, hit you about maybe 10 home runs. And again, not hurting you anywhere, just kind of helping you across the board. Do you like Jeff McNeil? 
Uh, I do. Uh, There's another player too, where it comes down to health and, you know, the Mets last year had for the most part stayed healthy, you know, Nimmo stayed healthy, McNeil stayed healthy. Alonzo was healthy. Lindor was healthy. Marte, not so much, but that was a big key to their success of, you know, doing what they did last year. Um, you're right. McNeil, you know, the 23 home runs from 2019 certainly seems like an outlier. (laughs) If he hits the 10, I think you'd be happy with that. Uh, this is a guy that certainly helps you in batting average department. Um, I don't expect him to win another batting title necessarily, but I do think he's going to be around that 300 level. And if you look at previous years, he was at that 329, 320, you know, 312, 328 last year. So he is a huge plus. And that's something it's hard to find batting average in those vertical leagues. Now, uh, he's going to sprinkle in a few steals here and there, you know, maybe four or five. I don't think, like I said, I don't think anybody should be drafting Jeff McNeil thinking the power is going to return to whatever it is. I think that was a weird outlier. Uh, he's a good player. He's a versatile player too, depending on your league eligibility rules. Uh, good left-handed bat, not the left-handed bat I want in terms of line of protection, but uh, I think a steady player. And I think an undervalued one in points leagues because the guy is just, he's one of those guys who kind of pecks it to death, right? He just keeps, you know, gets his hits, gets his runs, you know, he does his thing. He's not going to like win you the week, but he's going to be one of those guys that, you know, going to give you a solid 15 points every week. And that's nice. <laughs> like you take that to the bank. So that's one of the pluses of McNeil. He's going to pick 165 in the consensus of fantasy pros right now. Uh, ahead of guys like Jake Cronworth, Alex Verdugo. And I think that's right. I think I'd rather have McNeil because of some of the things that he does that those guys don't. He's going even later in the NFBC drafts. He's going yeah. just that pick 200 right now. So there's great value. Second base and outfield eligible. If you're talking a 15 team or specifically outfield sucks. In three outfield leagues, it's not that bad. But once you start talking 15 team, five outfielders, they really go quickly. And McNeil, like you said, even the points league stuff, I really like that because he's striking out only 10% of the time. He's not taking those negatives for you. With stri- I know points leagues, something that drives me crazy about points leagues is the lack of uniformity across the different sites of how many wow. points is, is everything. And I, I heard the ITL guys talking about this, how there should just be some kind of standard. Well, I tried. I put I put it in the black book a few years in a row there saying, hey, look, after being a points league guy for 15 years, this is what I've evolved to that really works where everything's balanced and it fits. I guess so to me, points leagues are so dumb where, you know, you have a save is as worth as much as a win. Why? It's stupid. Guy just pitched five innings. I mean, that's my problem with Roto. Is why is a save as much as a win when a guy goes one inning and another guy's going five to get the like that. That's crazy to me. But that's a that's another show. That's a whole yeah. Other. That could be an entire pod. That could be a series of podcasts talking about <laughs> points leagues. But points leagues, when when you value everything properly, then points leagues are great. And I think that you're right. It's the lack of uniformity that hurts the format sometimes. Because it's hard to make content driven towards points leagues mm-hmm. and say this guy is a, is a pickup in a point. Well, what if your your particular mm-hmm. points league has a bunch? But of any points league, a guy like McNeil with a high batting average who you know, runs the base as well, does the little things like the good baseball player guys, you know, who fill the stat sheets, just they're not spectacular or anything. That's a problem. There's not one category besides batting average where McNeil is a stud. He's just a good baseball player. So therefore in NFBC, he doesn't move the needle. And I understand why. Yeah, I could see him having a decent number of RBIs if he does end up batting fifth behind Alonzo and Lindor. I could see him driving in 70 something. What did he have last Mm -hmm. year? 62. I could see him getting close to 70. That's generally what the projections have. But I love him in a points league. I don't play as many points leagues as I used to, but where you are, especially if you're getting him around pick 200, you know, you want to wait a little bit on second base. He's somebody who's going to have a role, dual eligibility. Uh, there's a lot to like with Jeff McNeil. Now, the top half of the lineup, definitely a lot sexier than the bottom half. But Daniel <laughs> Bogelbach, he's projected to have a pretty decent season. If you're looking at WRC+, plus, he's projected to have the fourth highest one on the Mets, granted only over 92 games, but higher than Marte, higher than Lindor. 
Are you going to be drafting Vogelbach this year? Are you interested in him? I think he's going. Well, he's going very late. His most recent drafts after pick six hundred. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, Vogelbach is one of these guys too. You know, you try to figure out how it's all going to fit together. Uh, some of the offseason pictures, he's in much better physical shape, so that's good. He's he's a sneaky good athlete, Vogelbach. So you know, people, you know, you maybe you said maybe the bottom half isn't sexy here, but I think you know Vogelbach's a sexy boy. And I think uh, a guy who's in better shape, uh, that's probably going to be, it's, it's one thing to be, you know, to, I always say this on my wrestling podcast is one thing to work big. It's another thing to work heavy. I think last year he was working heavy. Like he just seemed like he was a little too big. And I think that hurts you when you're trying to, you know, go first to third. And when you're trying to do, you know, certain things like that and those, those little things that end up mattering, you know, um, for baseball teams and eventually fantasy baseball. Vogelbach's a guy with power. Um, He's certainly well-loved and well-liked. I think he's going to get a lot of opportunities at the DH spot. It's just also, how does the Francisco Alvarez equation go into it? Like, is Alvarez a guy that the bat's so good that they're going to say, you know what? We'll figure out the catching thing later. We just got to get this guy in the lineup. That's what I think looms over Vogelback that could hurt him in terms of as the season goes on. I think he's one of these guys that he's, he might be a better draft investment for like April then he is a guy that you're necessarily holding on to by the all-star break, if that makes sense. He's more of a guy that can help you early on, and you hope that things go well. And if not, he's easy to cut. Yeah, it's interesting with Alvarez. Do you think that he's going to start the season on the team? or what are you? I don't, because I think they want to get him some more time at catcher, and you've got such a, um, such a veteran staff here that I don't think it's going to happen. The, the question then becomes... Does he force their hand? Is, is is the offense just so good? And you say, oh, you know, we just can't wait anymore. Um, but I think at least through April, they'll protect him. My guess is somewhere between 50 and 100 at-bats and AAA, and then they evaluate the situation. Then, you know, you give him enough. That, that'll give him enough games there where, you know, they have a pretty good idea of where he's progressed defensively. But if they're struggling offensively and he is not struggling offensively in AAA, it would not shock me that they make that move and bring him up because the Mets are – they're in it now. They're here to win. They're not, you know, the same old Mets in terms of being aggressive with their prospects. I think they're going to be very aggressive. Yeah, I, I would tend to agree. Vogelbach, I think, is kind of interesting, maybe just because of the price. Pass pick 600 at that point. If he does happen to have some regular role, maybe Alvarez isn't ready or he comes up and mm-hmm. flounders, goes back down or whatever. Maybe Vogelbach does have some more regularity. Uh, he's projected for about 90 some odd games. God bless Steamer. He's never stolen a base in his entire career, but Steamer <laughs> thinks he's going to steal a base this year. I'll bet the under, but uh, <laughs> we'll see. Maybe you know he'll maybe he'll surprise some of us. Uh, the last third of the order here: Mark Canna, Eduardo Escobar, Omar Narvaez. Any interest in these guys in general? Do you think there's much need to be drafting them in any kind of formats? Well, you know, it's funny. You know, Canna is one of these guys that's very useful on your bench. You know, because you know he. He has some good stretches. Uh, I had him in a couple of leagues where you know I had to pick him up and play him for a few weeks or months even. And, you know, he ended up playing 140 games last year for the Mets. I mean, that's, that's pretty decent. 13 bombs, 71 runs scored, uh, 61 rivies. Um, The Babbitt was at 309, and people say, well, that's a little high. But if you go look at some of the years in Oakland, it was 308 and 307. So it's not like it's not like Mark Conde is a joke or, or you know, played over his head. Like, Mark Conde is a pretty good baseball player. So to me, it's just a matter of at-bats. Uh, I think in deeper leagues, he's a guy that has is, is draftable. Same with Escobar. Uh, versatility there, you know, comes to mind also. Escobar is just one of those hot and cold guys, though, too. So the trick is with Escobar is if somebody's frustrated with him and you know he's on the waiver wire, he gets dropped, you add him because you just you could set your clock to it when he's going to turn around and all of a sudden just rake for the next month. 
And that's always been the player he is. So uh, he'll hurt you in batting average. If he's on the good power run, he'll help you with power. But he is definitely one of these guys you got to be careful of because he is like the faucet, man. He is hot and cold. And uh, you can certainly, you know, roll with that at times. But it's a dangerous thing to say, oh, yeah, he's the everyday third baseman the rest of the year for the Mets. Not sure about that. We'll see as the season unfolds what they do. But kind of like Vogelbach, I think these are guys that for the first few months of the season, they can all three of those guys can be contributors. Nito and the catchers and Arvaez. I don't know how much offense you're going to necessarily get out of them. Uh, I thought the Narvaez signing was a good one. I like that one. But what that signaled to me was there's a better chance that Alvarez looks more like a DH than a catcher. And if he looks more like a DH than a catcher, then that's going to start to put some playing time of guys like Vogelback, you know, potentially in some danger. So that's, that's the one caveat here. He's what's looming. And they've got some other good prospects too, that if they come along quickly, you know, third base could be open for grabs sooner than we realized too. Yeah, you're speaking on like essentially Brett Beatty there. Do you think that yeah, he's Beatty's going a to good player? Is he going to crack the team? You think? I don't think he does. I think Escobar is very well liked. Very another player. Like this is a team that you know. It's it's funny. I keep saying it, but <clears throat> when you watch the Mets play, there's a genuine affinity for each other where a lot of teams don't have, and it's kind of infectious. And I don't think they want to screw that up. And I don't think Buck Showalter does. And I think that comes with a veteran manager. Like you don't screw with the chemistry of a team until you get to a point where. You have a young player who could really help you win. So Beatty to me is another guy who's got to prove it. You know, he's got to knock the door down. Alvarez doesn't have to. I think they already kind of see the future with Alvarez. Beatty, I think, is further away, theoretically. But, you know, it's it's not far away. I guess that's the point. Like, it's all still looming and close, which has put the Mets in a very interesting position because they can be a team that goes out there and flips some of these big-time prospects they have and make a huge splash of the deadline for a guy like Otani. And Otani fills the two things I think they need most, which is a left-handed power bat in the middle of this order and, a, and another starting pitcher. If you can get those two things in one guy, well, then it's worth playing a premium because you're getting two players in one. And they've got the money to sign him and not even let him go to free agency. And we all know Uncle Steve will overpay. So I don't know. If I'm Otani, I want to make some New York advertising dollars too. I think he would do very well in New York for himself. It would have to be a pretty penny, but I don't think Steve Cohen is going to. He's got a lot of pennies. Tight. Yeah. He's I Scrooge McDuck when it comes to pennies. He's got which is great. a lot of pennies <laughs> and I think he'll spend them. It would be crazy to see Otani go to New York. And I wonder if he would sign there as a free agent or if it would need to be as a trade, if he would want to go there, or if he would want to go to the Dodgers or what his, I have no idea where his head's at. Cause you don't see him get interviewed that often about different things and even if they do, I don't think players typically tend to give you little tips. Well, I think like what Otani wants to do is win. And I yeah. think some of the you know people, I think Carlos Correa was excited about the prospect of going to the Mets because he sees them as a winning team. Yeah. And I think the league starts to see, is starting to see that as like, wow, they're like the, look, I grew up my whole life with George Steinbrenner on the other side of town as an owner. So this is very different for me to be like the hated one where the owner is going to go out there and do, do whatever it takes it's a great feeling. I know what all the Yankee fan friends of mine over the years, why they're so happy all the time. It's great. It's a great change of pace. I love it. Yeah, you'd love it. I mean, even with my Blue Jays, we're not spending a lot of money every offseason, but we're getting like done one a good job, si- though. We're doing a good job. We're doing like one solid signing per offseason. You got Bassett and Springer and Ryu and you go back over. It's We're, we're doing all right. I Bassett's can see- a great addition. He's a good pitcher, man. That guy's just a see- good pitcher. I can see a little bit of how fun it would be to be a Yankee fan or to be you know, a Red Sox fan a few years ago. Not really right now. Uh, sorry, Eric Cross, if you're listening. But it, <laughs> it's um, it's it's interesting to see my team start to spend a little bit more money in mm-hmm. these last couple of seasons. And the Mets are just going to keep spending. 
The last guy in the lineup, they also spent a little bit of money on, not too much, I don't think. Uh, Tommy Pham. What are we thinking Tommy Pham's role is going to be here? Is he going to just be strictly a bench bat? The bat X hasn't projected for 125 games. Are we going to see anything close to that? I don't. I'd be surprised. I mean, what's smart about the Tommy Pham signing is, you know, you're getting a player that, um, number one is going to make sure all the fees for all the football leagues is collected. So that's, that's easy. So that's already <laughs> done. Uh, but Tommy Pham is also, I think a guy that, um, you know, it's, he's not that far removed from being a pretty good major leaguer. So he has power and he has speed. It's just, okay, where is he at right now? Can you fix some of the things that have, you know, kind of plagued him the last season or so where he was kind of on the decline, maybe it's some technical stuff you can clean up and, and figure that out. I think, as a bench player, I like him a lot. I think that's a, that's a nice situation there for the Mets. But, I mean, the, the, the Mets bench, you know, Guillaume is another guy. Terrific glove. Like, he's going to play a fair amount, too. So, the Mets have versatility. I think Tommy Pham is one of those guys in NL-only leagues that comes up. Sure. Because we mentioned Nimmo's health issues over the years. We've mentioned, um, you know, uh, uh, Jeff McNeil, right? All these different situations here. Um that open up potential playing time for Tommy Pham. So he's one of those guys that could be a, will be added, I think, in on waiver wires at some point, uh, but not necessarily a guy that I would be looking at drafting, except in your like a really deep league or NL only. NL only, I get it because I, I you could see the path for more at bats than you realize. And I think that's what some of those projections are alluding to. He's getting drafted a bit higher than I'd personally be wanting to draft him, top 400, which is not crazy. But, you know, if you're talking like a draft champions, it's almost the first half of the draft still when we don't really know what kind of role he's going to have. I probably would stay away. He's somebody like your 10, 12 teamers. He gets hot. He gets a roll. You pick him up off the waiver wire. You throw a couple of fab dollars at him, maybe. Uh, but, yeah, I don't see much of a need to be drafting him as of right now. Um, let's let's shift gears a little bit. Let's talk about the rotation. Justin Verlander coming in to essentially replace Jacob deGrom. Is this a one-for-one for, one for you, essentially? I mean, I know it's pretty close, but how do Mets fans gen, uh, tend to view this move? <laughs> well, I mean, <clears throat> I would have liked to have viewed Jacob deGrom more on the mound the last couple of years. That's the one thing with Verlander is, you know, it's not a one-for-one one in terms of pitcher because DeGrom, if you ask me, like, who's the better pitcher? It's deGrom. But who's the better investment now? It feels like Verlander. Um Look, man, Verlander's a winner. Verlander was my pick for Cy Young last year. Everybody knows this, and he was a 25 to 1 on the board. And I told everybody, look, I'm betting it. You should bet it with me. The narrative's there. The pedigree's there. He's going to win, you know, close to 20 games on this team. It's like it was all there right in front of you. Um, and uh, I'm not surprised he went to the Mets, but it, it once again, this points to people look at this team and say, this is a team that can win a World Series and go on a pitch with Max Scherzer again. I think it's, I think if you're asking me, is Verlander going to make more starts than Jacob deGrom? I'm going to say yes, because that's pretty much what history has been telling me in the last few years. And I understand Verlander had his Tommy John and that's fine, but you know, he's in good shape. He looked very good last year towards the end of the season. They did baby him a little bit to get him through the playoffs. And, you know, historically in the playoffs, he's had, you know, some, you know, varying success. Let's put it mildly, but look in fantasy baseball right now, Justin Verlander, I think is still a, a top tier pitcher. I feel good about him there. As a Mets fan, I'd rather be looking at him every fifth day because I know he's going to take the ball every fifth day. Um, I don't think the ERA is going to be what it was last year. I think that's asking a lot. Uh, but I do believe that you're in a spot with Justin Verlander where, look, coming off an 18-4 Cy Young season, if you go back a couple of years ago, the guy was absolutely incredible. Um, I think he's going to go probably around the, that 180 inning mark. I think that's a good number for him. I don't expect him to be 200. 
at this stage in his career. He's going to be 40 this year. But overall, I think Verlander is still a very solid investment. In some ways, I think he's safer than, than Scherzer because Scherzer has shown you physically a lot more breakdown despite the massive injury. He had the massive injury, the Tommy John, comeback, clean Cy Young season. Scherzer has shown you it's the back and then it's this. And then it's something like there's been a couple other things. And that's been my problem with, with Scherzer the last couple of years. They're going right at pretty much the exact same pick. I'm looking at the last 26 drafts. Yeah. 46 and 47.5 are the ADPs just at the beginning of the fourth round. Now, first time with Verlander, I thought there was a chance that he might just retire. And I know he said he was going to keep playing. But once you win a World Series, you have a Cy Young season with a sub-2 ERA, and you're 40 years old now. You know, you got a couple World Series, a couple of Cy Youngs, multiple uh, no-hitters. I don't know what else he's pitching for at this point, except maybe for the chance that he can get to 300 wins. I don't think that that's going to happen. I, I thought he was going to hang him up. But the fact that he's back out here... It's a similar situation. He's pitching for arguably the maybe not. I'm not going to jinx him and say that the best team in the National League, but one of the best teams in the National League, uh, as opposed to one of the best teams in the American League last year. I don't think it'll be that much different. I just worry being another year older. Um, there will eventually be some kind of cliff, I think, with Verlander. I don't know how drastic it's going to be. And maybe it'll be the same thing as the Tom Brady narrative in the NFL. You know, Max Kellerman. He's going to fall off the cliff. He's going to, you know, he's he's done. Maybe it'll never happen with Verlander. It won't be for several years. But I think there is some kind of worry in my mind still drafting him in the third or the fourth round that, you know, maybe at age 40, a new situation, maybe it doesn't go as well as we're hoping for. The projections are pretty good. Um, you know, about a 320, 330 ERA. Uh, great. They're actually projecting more strikeouts than last year. But there's just something in the back of my head. Maybe it's the age where I just can't actually hit the draft button in round end of round three, beginning of round four. Uh, you know what? It, it, it's not because of the player, but for me, it's also just some of the other names that are there too. Like yeah. Woodruff and Cease are, are right around that same thing. If you pass on Verlander and Scherzer looking at Rodon and Bieber, and then further down, you got Gossman and Manoa and Luis Castillo and Max Fried. Like there's just a, to me, that's the sweet spot of pitching. Like, I'd rather get like two or three of those guys a little later than I don't want to miss out on hitting because to me, there's a finite number of those guys. I'm not an early pitching guy, even in points leagues nowadays, which used to be my, always my MO, always early pitching, crush everybody with my pitching. You can't do that nowadays. It's just too inconsistent, too many injuries. Uh, you could try in some, like, you know, Burns is out there, Cole, you can get those guys, but still, you know, it's really nice to still kind of find that value and get a couple really good starters. And I think that is, it's better to have a rotation now than necessarily that one elite guy. Yeah. I think everybody's kind of, and I'm just kind of making me worried when I start really drafting in earnest that everybody's talking about the pitchers in like the 60 to hundred range, your Castillo's, your gallons, your Gosman's. Mm -hmm. I'm worried that those prices are going to start getting more and more expensive. And maybe, you know, you will end up with some Scherzer's and Verlander's if they do get maybe not pushed down so much. Well, the one thing you might do is you that also will, if people are waiting then some of those Scherzers and Verlanders will slip around too. So then they become more interesting targets too, because if everyone's just waiting and attacking hitting, well, then all the pitching starts to move down the board a little bit. And all of a sudden you're getting a little discount and that makes those guys a little bit more desirable. Yeah. But even with Scherzer, it's kind of the same argument as with Verlander. And like you alluded to, what's what's next in terms of the injuries with this guy? It's, <laughs> it's everything. Every year there seems to be something uh, even mm -hmm. though it didn't keep him out a lot last year, he still threw 145 innings. It was the fewest innings he'd thrown in a full season ever. Yeah. It was the few, it was the least amount of Scherzer we've ever gotten. And he had a 229 ERA 
the pitching indicators were all great, but I just, I can't do it. It's, it's the same, same thing as Verlander. I would much rather just wait as good as he is, as, as you know, he could be a 20 win two, five ERA guy and win the Cy Young this year. And I don't think anybody would be shocked by it, but at the same time, give me gallon, give me Gosman, give me Manoa, give me any of those guys, younger Max pitchers, Freed. just straight up younger arms. I I'm with you. I it just look, they're great pitchers, but this is fantasy baseball. I want the younger investment probably at this point. I agree. Yeah. I mean, great team context and everything else, but I just, I, I can't do it right now. Uh, the rotation is very, very solid, though, even outside of these top two names. Kodai Senga is the next guy I wanted to mention to you here. He is projected as the third starter in the rotation here. How much do you know about him? What can we really expect from Senga this year? Well, I think, you know, the ATC projection has him at, you know, 10 wins with a 386 ERA and about 154 Ks and 145 innings. That that seems pretty good to me. That seems about right. Um, I think like most of the, the pitchers that, you know, come from overseas, there'll be that adjustment period to taking the ball every fifth day. I mean, we've been beaten over the head with that in the last couple of years, too. Some guys are just better than others. So that will be a big test for him, how that adjustment works. Um, but. I think with Senga, I think it's a good investment on a player that you think is going to, again, have his prime years still ahead of him. Uh, I think it helps you a little bit in terms of the rest of this rotation, building that depth. And I think the the other thing is, like, he's, he's 30 years old, so he's right, right in now that spot where, okay, this is his prime. You're trying to win World Series. But what's so interesting about the Mets rotation is, you know, you've got Senga, you've got Carrasco. They went and signed Quintana, who I thought was a good left-handed pickup for them. Quintana had a very good finish to his season. And, you know, Quintana is just an enigma because he was so good for such bad teams with the White Sox. And he goes to the Cubs and everybody, including me, thought, oh, this is going to be great. He's going to get more wins. And he just like completely fell off the map, starts toiling in, you know, anonymity. And then the next thing you know, he starts to pitch a little better for the Pittsburgh Pirates and ends up with the Cardinals and like finds himself. It's the weirdest journey for this guy, but give me the old journeyman lefty um, from a fantasy perspective. Again, I think he'll give you some wins, some ERA, but it's David Peterson. Who's so interesting to me because Peterson's a player who is free. Peterson is a guy that I will draft at every draft that that's of any substance where I have a deep enough bench to have him. Because if you look at what he did last year, the strikeout rate was excellent. This is another good young left-handed pitcher who showed you he belongs in the rotation. And between the age of Verlander and Scherzer, the unknown situation with um, with Kode Senga and, and where he's going to go and how, you know, how he's going to react. Maybe it'll be very good out of the gate. Maybe he'll struggle out of the gate. We just don't know. Carlos Carrasco, another older pitcher. Quintana, same thing. Peterson, to me, is a guy that you can have for nothing. Is probably going to make somewhere around 20-plus starts this year. Like, I'd be shocked if he didn't just because that's the way the Mets are built. And I think they knew that going in. You know, and McGill is another guy, too, that will probably end up making some starts, too. We'll see where he ends up at bullpen or they, you know, put him down in the minor leagues. But Peterson's one of those guys where, you know, I like what I saw last year. I like the evolution of him as a pitcher. And I just think he's a guy that eventually, because of all those X factors in this Mets rotation, he will end up becoming more useful than people realize. Peterson and McGill are both projected to start nine games. I'd like to see more out of them. You know, we mentioned earlier that like they could use more pitching depth if they got Otani or whatever, but pretty deep staff. Like I would kill to have David Peterson as the Blue Jays fifth or Tyler McGill. hundred percent. And and I, but the, the point I'm making is <clears throat> you bring in a guy like Otani because of his age too and where he's at, yeah. because you know, Verlander and Scherzer on borrowed time. Like you've made the investment in these guys for the next year or two. You make an investment in a guy like Otani for the next five. And I think, you also want 
the pitching, you know, if you're Otani, I mean, who better to learn from than Scherzer and Verlander for a year? Like, I mean, if you're going to learn about pitching, those are the guys you want to understand and, and, you know, work with. And, and that's a big deal. I mean, people forget, you know, Scherzer was, you know, all sizzle, no steak, you know, in Arizona. And then he goes to Detroit and he's not the number one. He's there with Verlander learning under the tree. I mean, he becomes Scherzer. Garrett Cole, ironically, right? Garrett Cole was all upside, all this stuff. Couldn't figure it out with the Pirates. Gets traded to Houston. Who is it? Justin Verlander. Verlander, the top of this rotation. You take the pressure off these guys where they don't have to be the number one and you have them learn about pitching. And guess what? Those guys blossom into absolute, you know, best pitcher in baseball kind of level guys. And, you know, I, I think it's a very desirable situation for any pitcher to go work with those kind of guys in that environment because the wealth of knowledge is huge. And from a fantasy perspective, you want to be on a team that's going to be competitive. The Mets rotation has a lot of age, but they have some depth. And I think that's what saves them in the end. But from a fantasy perspective, being, you know, aware of those depth guys, the McGills and especially Peterson, I think those guys are going to be bigger payoffs than people realize as the season goes on. Yeah. In, in deeper leagues and draft champions, they're going to be taken. But if you're in a shallower league, Keep an eye out throughout the regular season. If you hear that one of them mm-hmm. is getting a start, I'd go pick them up right away. I did with David. Peterson oh, any of those draft year. and hold leagues, I'd be all over those guys, especially Peterson. To me, Peter, I mean, McGill's got some moments, but Peterson to me really took a step forward last year. It killed me when they put him in the in the pen. And then I think he actually oh. got sent down at one point. It was, mm-hmm. it was awful, yeah. but the, they're just so deep. And I mean, even now looking at who they, they brought in Quintana, Quintana might not be the sexiest name. He had a 167 ERA in the second half last year. Dude, it was crazy. Like, we don't know, <laughs> we don't know what, he could, what he could do. Uh, I mean, I don't think he's going to do that. I, 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 I don't think so either. I, I, think, I don't think anyone good. expects that. I guess the idea is, you know, can he, can he be a reliable guy that you can just, you know, uh, you could say in a fantasy rotation to be at the back end and get you some W's and some quality starts. And, you know, he's the 97th pitcher off the board right now. I mean, you know, Senga's 96 in ECR. I mean, obviously, you know, he goes as high as 55, but his worst is 120. So the market really doesn't know how to value those two guys in the mess rotation. They're basically all over the map. You're either buying in or you're not. So that's very interesting. So in the leagues where people aren't buying him, they become good discounts. And the people yeah. who are paying overpaying for either of those two guys, let them be overpaid for. I think that's a good piece of advice. I think wherever you're playing, though, Mets pitching will have value, assuming there is health. There's going to be a lot of wins to go around this staff. It is mm-hmm. a very talented staff to begin with. And they're also anchored by a guy who's going to make sure that they get a lot of wins at the end of the day. And I'm not going to keep you for too long. I know yeah. you got a hard out at the top of the hour. But Edwin <laughs> Diaz, how comfortable yeah, are we? He's, he's fantastic, <laughs> but he's also had some hiccups in the past. Uh, what, what are your thoughts about like, okay, let's just say he does falter or he gets injured or whatever. Who is the number two guy up? And, you know, just Diaz in general, are we sure that he's going to give us the same kind of season he gave us last year? Cause that's where he's being drafted, you know, top two rounds. You look, I mean, if he gives you 90% of it, it's gonna, I mean, he's, this is when, you know, when they made that trade, uh, everybody was saying, Oh, it's so dumb. The Mets took a no and they traded, Kelonic and all this stuff, and they and and they got a closer. And all I kept thinking was like, I watch this guy in Seattle. Like this guy's a kid. Imagine having an elite closer for a decade. Like that's something teams killed for. It's what the Yankees had with Rivera. And when you shorten those games and the bridge to the win, it elevates the value of those other starting pitchers in fantasy that you have on that rotation. Um, you know, Robertson's a guy in that bullpen that has closing experience. That would be my guess of the first guy up there. I don't think Ottavino's really, I mean, Ottavino has experience too, but it's not as good of a return. 
Uh, Robertson would probably be that pick. I like the addition of Eliezer Hernandez too. Cause he wasn't, it's a guy that's had some moments, I think in his career where I thought he would be better than he was. So good health, good influence. He's a guy to keep an eye on, but I mean, Diaz was about as dominant as you can get. I mean, he was just absolutely incredible. I mean, 61 games, 1.31 ERA, 32 saves, a just, you know, unbelievable 118 strikeouts in 62 innings i mean he struck out more two-thirds of the guys that he faced i mean it's just it's so ridiculous of how dominant he was and you're right it's unrealistic to expect equal dominance but i think what we have to do is say are we going to get 85 to 90 percent of that guy again will he have a couple blown saves this year will he be more human probably but we're also looking at the best reliever in fantasy. So how valuable is that at the end of the day with so much uncertainty in bullpens? I think it still has value depending on your format, especially. I just don't want him in the second round. I'd rather take Romano or hater or one of those guys in the second round. Like he struck. Out I don't more- like any closer in the second round. I just think that's yeah. nuts. That's just not my thing, but if you can get him in the third or fourth, especially the more shallow leagues, that's different. You know, it's so much of it has to do with the format you're playing. Like if you have to have mandatory RP slots, that changes the calculus. Like if you're playing in a head-to-head, you know, category league and you have five SP and two RP spots that you got to put out there every week, well, guess what? In a you know, 12-team league, all of a sudden those becomes pretty valuable to have Edwin Diaz every week. So yeah. again, you have to adjust your takes on all these players based on the format and the situation of the roster construction you have to put together. Yeah, I just he's not getting 50% strikeout rate again. 50%, 50 over 50.2. <laughs> It's, it's just like it's, it's just it's stupid. nuts. <laughs> One thing I'll point out that is I'll say this is patently ridiculous, but even year versus odd year Edward Diaz. If you look at the even years, I love that stuff. One ninety six. If you look at 2018, 196 ERA. 2020 was 175. 2022 it was 131. In the odd years, 327, 559, 345. That 559 year was a huge outlier for him where everything was getting hit out of the park. He had a 2.3 homers per nine. But, you know, let's get the tinfoil hats on here for a minute. Maybe he has a bad year if it's because it's an odd year, but I don't expect it. It's just something to that struck me as kind of interesting. Like, it's there. At. He has been an every other year guy. There's no doubt about that. But he's also, I mean, it, you know, as crazy as was last year, let's also not forget, if you go back to 2018, 124 strikeouts and 73 hittings. Like, it's not yeah. like... Like this was a complete like, oh, my God, I can't believe how good he is. Like, no. And, you know, I mean, we're still waiting for Jared Kellenick to uh, <laughs> to deliver on the other end of this deal. Uh, despite all of the many shortcomings of Robinson Cano, I think it's safe to say the Mets have won this trade at this point. Oh, I think that that's that you can you can fairly say that even in the horrible yeah. years, he's striking out 40 percent of batters. So that will be there. But, Joe, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to join us here, man. Really, really appreciate it. It's always great talking with you. I got to have you on my show here. That's what you got to do. We got to set that up. Hey, so that will, that we'll, would be a blast. We'll, I'd love to. It's time to get you on there. Represent the, uh, the Canadian people there. Uh, <laughs> I've always, you know, I go back to the old days of uh, Dave Steve and pitchers like that. So I go back a ways with them. Blue Jays. I always enjoyed those teams. And uh, Hey, think of it this way. I mean, your lifetime, you've probably seen more uh, world titles than I have as a Met fan. I've got one. So one more championship for me. I was born. The Blue Jays. I was born a couple of years yeah. after the Jays won those titles. Oh, that's so very sad. That's I've very never. Sad. I've seen one Raptors championship, and that is in Toronto. <laughs> well, at least today. you got some fun guys to root for, and at least you got a bunch of guys to hate the Yankees. What more can you ask for than that? Oh, right? the way that they, the way that they fat shame my Manoa and my Guerrero. I, I hate Alec those guys. Manoa. 
I love. He oh. said big hosses. Gotta love those boys. You know, he's, he's a big boy. Go hit two bombs, and then you know, go hit the uh, craft service table after. I mean, gotta love this. <laughs> after my own heart, those two dudes. <laughs> those two are great. As a fellow choochy guy myself, a uh, little little round around the stomach area. I definitely appreciate my my big Blue Jays. Alejandro <laughs> Kirk. What the hell am I doing? Not mentioning Alejandro Kirk. Uh, that's right. I forgot we got Kirk. Well, he's in his own situation. That guy. We, 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 feed, <laughs> we feed our boys well. We feed our boys well in Toronto. That's right. That's right. But you can check out Joe over on Fantasy Pros and Betting Pros. He does every everything under the sun you guys can imagine. <laughs> Fantasy Black Book. You guys should check that out. It's available on Amazon right now. And of course, leading off is back. So what the hell are you doing? Go subscribe. Yeah, well, Welsh and right. Joey P. Yeah. Couple it's about months. as entertaining as you're going to find, really. I mean, yeah. you, you, you guys are fantastic together. Thanks, like you said, you're going to be going to three days a week and then five days a week pretty soon. Well, three days a week for the, the baseball podcast starting in February here. And then leading off, I'm pushing to go live starting the Monday, the first week of the season. Usually we go live opening day. I'm trying to go live the first week. So we have some shows leading up to that every day. But again, we, we go in there. We talk baseball for a half hour. We give you everything you need to know what happened, what's going to happen fantasy wise, betting wise. It's we try to have a good time. We try to make baseball fun again. You know, <laughs> the stats are great and all that stuff. But, it, you know, I think people forget baseball is supposed to be fun. I think we're trying to bring that perspective back a little bit. Baseball is very fun. Fantasy baseball is very fun. And Joe and the Welsh are very fun. So you guys should go check them out. Joe's on Twitter at Joe Pisa PS 17. I'm at Joe Orico 99. You got the Joe square treatment today to start the off Joes. the week. I hope you hope you guys enjoyed it. We'll be back again tomorrow. We're going to check out third base rankings. Keep going through those. I might have to have a drink beside me as we go through them, <laughs> but, but we'll be here. Ah. We will be here guys. Take care and have a great evening. We'll see you tomorrow. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs>